And now, live, it's time. Which team, by colors alone, is identifiable around the world? It's time for the JT the Brick Show. Which team, by slogan, commitment to excellence? On Raider Nation Radio, 920 AM. Just win, baby. All those things are the Raiders. Here's your host, JT the Brick. Welcome back. Hour number two on a Monday on Raider Nation Radio, 920 AM. Hope everybody had a tremendous Father's Day. No matter what you did, hopefully you had a great time with family and friends. Good to see everybody out celebrating in Vegas, celebrating Father's Day. And we are celebrating and introducing our newest sponsor, Five Iron Golf, the premier indoor golf facility that recently opened in Area 15. Shout out to GM Kenny, who's the man and goes beyond and above to make you feel right at home. I've been there a number of times. It will blow you away. Five Iron has a little bit of everything. They got an eight track man golf simulator with cameras in every bay. So you look at your swing at all three different angles, which is fantastic if you're trying to get better. They have a full bar, shuffleboard, and the brand new top of the line clubs available for everyone to use for free. So usually when you go to a place and you go to hit golf balls, the clubs stink. The balls aren't any good. This is completely the opposite. I could not believe the clubs they put in my hands, which was amazing. They also have club fitting, lessons, and a Monday, Tuesday night league, which you can get in a league and you can play any golf course in the world. I played Pebble Beach, St. Andrews. It's amazing. And the technology makes you feel like a pro. The beauty of Five Iron is that it's for everyone. It's a place for serious golfers or just a great place to hang out and drink with your friends. Go there to watch games. Right now they're giving every one of my listeners one free hour of the simulator time to go check it out. That's a $65 value. Tell them JT sent you. So call now and reserve your spot. Five Iron Golf in Area 15. And I've been to Area 15 now, once with my wife and once with my kids. And you can get lost in there and eat and drink and have fun. And then right in the middle of it is Five Iron Golf. So proud partner of our show. Really excited about this because I play a lot of golf. I want to get better. This place will help me hopefully get better. How could you not with all this great equipment and the simulators, beer, wine, food, all of that. So I'm excited about that. All right, let's jump into it. The first hour of the show, I... Worked off of any Bonsignor's column about the Raiders and where they're at now. Everybody seems to be in a good place. I have not been able to say that for 20 years. There's always been some type of issue. Which player did the Raiders not get in the draft? Which player is leaving the Raiders? Which coach is getting fired? Which coach just got hired? Now in the fourth year in the Gruden system with Derek Carr, everybody seems to be on board. You're not hearing any chirping, no one upset, no Antonio Brown coming or going, no Trent Brown stealing money. It seems like everybody in the Raider Nation is pretty comfortable with this team. Now, it might not be a roster, and it isn't. That's as good as Kansas City's. But they're mixing and matching their roster to try to compete with Kansas City. The roster, I think, is very good because they're sticking to their plan. What's the plan? Younger team. Draft picks, control the money, and hopefully a couple of these younger players pop. Other than Max Crosby, who's really popped that's young on this team? Has Trayvon Mullen popped? No, I think Trayvon Mullen's a good player. But he's nowhere near being a pro bowler. Damon Arnett, Jonathan Abram, Cleland Farrell. There's been several players selected 
that I believe have upside. They're under contract, and they're getting better. Henry Ruggs III, Hunter Renfro. So these are guys now that have to have their pop. Some of these guys got to step up and be great. Darren Waller came out of nowhere to this organization. He is great. The Raiders deserve a lot of credit for that. Rodney Hudson is gone. Gabe Jackson is gone. Richie Incognito is healthy. He is back. Colt Miller got extended. Alex Leatherwood was drafted. Simpson, the depth on the offensive line. James at center. So if you look at all of this, the Raiders took a little money off the offensive line and spent it on the defensive side. Does anybody have a problem with that? I was in the building for every game, home and away. The defense was awful. They were awful, other than a couple of pass rushers and some guys who made plays. No one really overachieved. No one had this great year that you can say, oh, my God, did you see Nick Kwiatkowski? Did you see what Littleton did? Oh, what a year. What a year in the secondary for who? Jeff Heath? Come on. I mean, I'm a, Max, a Mad Max guy, and I think Max is living up to the hype, but he's going to get better too. And then Yannick Ngakwe was, was brought in. Also Casey Hayward. And I don't think they're done yet. I think you're going to see a Raider come in here during training camp that gets cut from another team that could have another life inside the Raider Nation. But the roster's pretty much set. Do you think this roster can compete with Kansas City? Should have swept Kansas City last year. They beat him in Kansas City and had him beat with a one minute and 47 seconds to go. Mahomes went the length of the field. No fans were there. You're telling me if there were 65,000 fans? And look, 10,000 or more would have been Kansas City fans, but you wouldn't have been able to hear because the Raider fans would have been on their feet. They wouldn't have been sitting down. Would that have changed that last series? Possibly. It would have changed it against the Chargers. I guarantee you that. So how much are the fans going to play an impact on the schedule this year? I'm happy we got Baltimore for the first game. That's going to be a hornet's nest. That's going to be insane. There's a lot of people in Baltimore that can't get tickets. They can't unless they want to pay $2,000 for a single seat. So that should keep them away. And a lot of people are going to want to be there just to be part of the spectacle of the first ever game with fans. You know, we're going to be spending a lot of time here coming up in about a month or two really diving into the schedule, which will open up with Baltimore, then at Pittsburgh on a short week. That's going to be big. That's going to be big. I'm calling for a split. I'd like a split. Those who want to go 2-0, and go. Great. Buy a lottery ticket. <laughs> Predict they're going to go 17-0. Do whatever you want. But those first two games are going to be really important. And I think that the Raiders got to feel pretty good about it. The biggest topic of the offseason to me from here on out, ready? From here on out is injuries. That's it. The Raiders play in massive heat. They got an indoor facility. They're going to practice outside. They're going to have players coming in trying to make the roster. I want them to practice. They need the practice. It's a brand new system. You don't want them to play in the preseason? That's you. I'd like to see them play in the preseason. They get paid to play football, not sit around. There are going to be fans that disagree and don't want to see Carr play in one preseason game. I'm not one of them. I want to see Carr get out there and throw the ball to new receivers or get rugs going. If you disagree, I respect you on that. The only guy that I don't want to see at all touch the ball is Josh Jacobs. I don't think he needs a touch. They brought in Kenyon Drake. Let's see him. Let's see him catch a couple wheel routes. And then other than that, everybody on defense needs practice games. You don't think Jonathan Abram and Damon Arnett need a practice game or two? Trayvon Merrick, who was signed today, 
I mean, you don't you don't want to sit the whole team, do you, everybody? You want no one to play until Baltimore? Good luck with that. How the hell would that work out if no one played? None of the starters. What do you expect them to do? Have a magic wand and go up against Lamar Jackson and cover that? Good luck with that. So the Raiders signed their second-round pick, Trayvon Merrig, today. The athletic and rangy safety, 6'2", 202 pounds, selected with the 43rd overall pick in the draft. So he's got to start. And if you count Casey Hayward coming in, and no doubt Trayvon Mullen, it seems like there's going to be a fight. fight. Jonathan Abram looks like he'll be the starter at strong safety. He'll have that. He'll, He'll be given that opportunity if nothing happens. And then we know what's going to happen at the linebacker position unless something crazy happens. It's going to be Littleton, Kwiatkowski, and Morrow. And then up front, on the edges, it's going to be Yannick Ngakwe and Mad Max or Cleland Farrell. I'm a Max guy over Clee. I like Clee, but Max proves it to me more. And then the interior pass rush, I think, is going to be the most, you know, that's going to be the position battle that's the toughest. Solomon Thomas, who they're going to want to have up front with Hankins in the middle. And I hope that that position is an upgrade because the Raiders haven't been good at that position for a long time. So that's what I have here in the monologue. If you want to talk about the Raiders, 702-365-9200. Thank God, Bobby, I don't do two hours of Raiders here because I'd be on an island today. It seems like Raider Nation is on vacation with the rest of the coaches and the players, so I'll just get back to what I want to do. I told you that the Brooklyn Nets would get beat. And the reason I told you that was because they were built on a false principle. The principle was that they'd go ring chasing together and they'd try to put together a super team and that they'd automatically get a ring. And I said, no, 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 no. This is not happening. Kyrie Irving is a nutcase. He's out of his mind. He went AWOL for seven games this year. Seven games he didn't show up for work. He got fined for two. Right when that happened, I said, let's go all in and beat these guys. Let's get them out. And then James Harden quit on Houston, so he couldn't get traded from Houston. Tillman Fertitta wouldn't trade him. So what did he do? He called his agent and said, I got an idea. I'm going to get out of shape so badly in two weeks, like I went on a Caribbean cruise, and I just sat at the buffet table. I'm not going to run. I'm not going to work out. I'm going to get a small belly, and that'll scare him into trading me. It worked. He actually did that. And people are questioning, how did Harden get hurt at the end of the year? You don't have to go back too far. If you're not a professional athlete, you can get out of shape in two weeks. Pretty badly if you drink and eat too much. Harden did that and got rewarded for bad behavior by going to Brooklyn. He thought he was going to win. He broke down. I got no complaints on Kevin Durant. Durant was brilliant. He had two 49-point games. I mean, Durant carried everybody, but why didn't Durant just stay in Oakland with the Warriors? In San Francisco, he had Steph Curry, good ownership. Steve Curry had two rings. He wanted to go do it on his own. How'd that work out, Kevin? Kevin's out. So the Nets have been beat. I told you that they would get beat. I stood on a soapbox for two and a half months and got it right. And I got to give them credit. Milwaukee down the stretch, Drew Holiday, who didn't have a great game, Came up big in the fourth quarter. Tie game. Bucks have seven to shoot. Holiday's got to hurry. Drew Holiday will back up. Take a three-pointer. Good. Bango. Drew Holiday. 104-101 Bucks. That was a big play. That was massive because Holiday needs to be that guy. Middleton 
has been as good as Giannis lately. He had a brilliant playoff game, too. He's an all-star, and he came through. Middleton, top of the circle. Middleton continues on, fades, shoots, good for Middleton! 113-111 Bucks timeout Nets. Oh, that was so clutch. And the Nets couldn't count on Harden. Kyrie was on the bench. So they had to go to Kevin Durant, who I thought his legs in overtime were tired. He was hitting all these shots. But eventually, because he's so skinny, his legs couldn't get behind these shots anymore. And this is what happened. Durant, a three-pointer straight away, short and out of bounds. Bucks ball with three-tenths of a second to play. Kevin Durant throws up an air ball? Woo! Whoa! Kevin Durant? Did Jordan ever throw up an air ball? I know Kobe did. Kobe missed some shots. But wow. Wow. He could have he threw up an air ball. And the Bucs hold on and win in overtime to advance. How about it? The Bucs did it, folks. Celebrate. Fear the deer. Go crazy in the deer district. Go crazy all across the state. Bucks have won this thing. This one is now officially over. How about this? 115-111 Bucks win. Here we come, Eastern Conference Finals. Bucks radio, and then they'll end up playing Atlanta. Talk, talk about getting a good draw. Playing Atlanta? <laughs> Atlanta? I'll get into what happened in a little bit with the Philadelphia Sixers, 76ers. That was a disaster. But after the game, Durant was asked about playing all those minutes, putting up all of those stats, and what happened down the stretch. You got to give credit to the Milwaukee Bucks. They're a great, great team who got a good chance to win a championship. The story should be about them and how well they played this series, um, how well they played all, all year. We got good looks there over time. Uh, we just didn't knock them down. But respect to the Milwaukee Bucks and how they prepare, how they challenged us all series and made adjustments all series. Um, we got nothing but respect for this ball club. Nothing but respect for Kevin Durant. I'm just happy they didn't win. Because if those guys pulled this off and won, then the rest of the league would do this crap every year. Bunch of guys like Giannis and everybody would be like, I'm getting out of shape. I want out. I want to go ring chase. Does everybody get that? Do you agree with me on this? Or does everybody just look around at the NBA and say, A, I don't watch it anymore. B, I like stars. I like stars. C, I like big markets over small markets. I mean, what's your opinion on what happened with the NBA this year? From LeBron winning in the bubble in Orlando last year to the short offseason, all the injuries, all the stars being gone now. I mean, we still got star power left. You got Devin Booker, Chris Paul coming back. Phoenix has got some stars. The Clippers have Paul George. Hopefully Kawhi comes back. And in the East, you have Giannis who's the face of the league, superstar. You got Trey Young, who I got a chance to see play at Oklahoma. And he's a hell of a player. Lon Kruger and the connection in this town with Trey Young, he's a very likable player. And Trey Young went into the belly of the beast and won in Philadelphia and at Madison Square Garden. Now, quickly, the other big topic today is Ben Simmons, who is one of the best players in the league on paper, and now he forgot how to play basketball. He could no longer play basketball. He can't shoot. He can't hit free throws. He's like a putter that has the yips. So it's affected everything with him. And they got to figure out if they're going to trade him now. Charles Barkley talked about the fact that Simmons didn't show up in Philadelphia in front of the home Philadelphia fans. What a disaster this is for a kid who's only 24. Interesting non-committal answer by, no, by Doc Rivers to that. No, you don't no, think that's an interesting answer? No, because I've told you on this show a hundred times, Ben Simmons can be an all-star 
But that's all he can be until he learns how to shoot. No, that wasn't the question. Yeah, but listen, that, that, that's the answer to the question. If a guy is uh, – my second best player can't shoot, I can't go to him with the game on the line. I, I don't even have him in the game. I, I, he didn't want to throw the kid on the bus. He said, it doesn't matter. We sit here. We are basketball guys. We know basketball. You can't have a guy on the court who's afraid to shoot the basketball. Oh, what a great soundbite from Barkley. He's talking about Doc Rivers' comment because Doc Rivers, after the loss, I mean, how would you like to be Doc Rivers? You leave Los Angeles, and they're in the Western Conference Finals. You come to Philly, and you're supposed to go to the NBA Finals, and you don't get there. And Rivers was asked specifically about Ben Simmons. Doc, you think Ben Simmons can, can still be a point guard for, for a championship team like the one you guys want to become? Yeah, David, I don't know that question or the answer to that right now. You know, so I don't know the answer to that. What do you, uh, when you say get in the gym with him, what uh, what needs to be done? I mean, obviously, this is this is frustrating. Yeah, I mean, I, I that's that's between Ben and I. Oh, oh, he threw Simmons under the bus. I mean, he he was honest, and that's what I love about sports radio honesty. Doc Rivers asked, "Can you win a championship?" I don't know. Oh, really? So. Ben Simmons, and I put out this tweet uh, last night before I went to bed. How much money do you think Ben Simmons is going to make over the next four years? Just guess. I mean, Ben Simmons over the next four years is going to make over $144 million. $144 million for Ben Simmons. So I don't know what you do. I don't think he could I don't think he could make it in Philadelphia. And here's another important point. Philadelphia, if things go bad and you're not clutch and you don't play well when it counts, they run you out of town. Okay, you have to change your address, you have to hide because it's Philly. Philly, Boston, New York. Now, if you play in Kansas City, Sacramento, Oklahoma City, no big deal. You choke a few times, people give you a second chance. Now Simmons is at the point where they might have to trade him. Because Philadelphia wants him out. Really tough position to be in. I've never seen this before in the league. I haven't. And, you know, Philadelphia beat their whole, built their whole process, the process on cheating. When they were tanking and losing basketball games on purpose, I told you that that was cheating, not tanking. The right word is cheating. When you lose on purpose and you put in inferior players and don't play your best players, you're cheating and losing on purpose. Well, Philly did this for like five years, and they got a whole bunch of ping-pong balls and draft picks, and now it imploded. So it didn't work. So sometimes you can cheat and win. Sometimes you can cut corners, but a lot of times you can't. And I am thrilled that Brooklyn is eliminated. Philly, I would have liked to have seen Philly play over Atlanta because I don't think Atlanta is going to be a lot of fun to watch. But that's a big city, too, and a big market, and they're ready to go. Coming up next, Olden Polonese will join us, the former 15-year big man. We'll talk to him about what happened in the NBA. And then the voice of the Yankees, Michael Kay. What a job he has. 30 years with the Yankees, 10 on radio, 10 on uh, 20 on TV. Yankees have had three triple plays this year. Three. And they had one to win a game yesterday. JT, Raider Nation Radio, 702-365-9200. Brought to you by Sam and Ash, SamandAshLaw.com.
I was really disappointed in how our approach was tonight. Give the Hawks credit. I thought they hit. Uh, I thought they knocked us around the floor. I thought Collins was the toughest man on the floor all night. You know, you're going to see everybody else's number, but I thought Collins was the guy tonight, you know, um, just hitting the glass all night and keeping things alive. Uh, I just thought they were the more physical, tougher team. Doc Rivers, what a disaster for the Sixers. You just heard Steph McKenzie promote Salmon Ash, SalmonAshLaw.com, my friends. If you get into an accident, you need great, not good, personal injury attorneys. You get a two-for-one with Sam and Ashley. They're fantastic. Their team is in your corner because you deserve what's right. That's full compensation for your injuries. Give them a call, 702-820-1234, or go to SalmonAshLaw.com because you deserve what's right. I like to watch games with them, especially hockey games. They are all in on the Vegas Golden Knights and where they're at. Only six more W's, and Vegas would win the Stanley Cup. How great is that going to be here over the next couple of weeks if every other night we got a hockey game, we got hockey games in this city, and we're able to get together with our friends and watch hockey games in the Stanley Cup final. They have got to take care of Montreal. Montreal's hanging around. I don't like that. I still think it's going to go seven. Hope I'm wrong. Olden Polonies, kind enough to join us. 15-year big man, one of my favorite guests you hear from time to time on Raider Nation Radio. Olden, we were just playing Doc Rivers and what's going on with Simmons. What does Philly and Doc do with Ben Simmons going forward? Well, it's going to be um, contentious, to say the least, because, you know, Doc Rivers made a comment after the game you know, when they ask him, is, you know, Ben Simmons a guy you can win a championship with? And he's like, I don't know. Now, automatically, that's throwing somebody under the bus, you know, not protecting your player. But it's not just Ben Simmons. It's Doc Rivers as well. He has to be held accountable as well. You know, substitution patterns, you know, play, Dwight Howard. I mean, Dwight Howard played well with the Lakers, but he's, you know, he does some dumb things, you know, when he's on the court, you know, flagrant fouls and just you know, illegal picks all the time. So there were certain substitution patterns that Doc did and players he played. You know, sometimes you just got to play like five, six, seven guys, and that's it, and just ride it out. You know, do seven. He's trying to play 11, 12 guys, and it doesn't always work. But Ben Simmons is the catalyst. Ben Simmons is a guy – I wouldn't mind him missing free throws. It's the fact that he doesn't even look to score offensively. And I don't know if it's part of the fact that he knows he's not a good foul shooter, you know, so I'm not going to attack because I don't want to get fouled. And I think that's where he's at right now. So he's going to have to uh, do some um, do some work over the summer. I mean, he's really going to have to work on his game, man, get comfortable shooting free throws, get comfortable shooting, period. You know, my personal opinion, what should have happened was, Beginning of the season, hey, man, if you don't shoot the ball, if you don't take at least 15 shots, you, you're not playing. You know, wow. we yeah. can't keep being – coaches can't keep being scared of players in this era. I don't care because you still got a coach to win, not to appease people. You still got a coach to win. Great comments by Olden Bolognese. Olden, you were a big guy. If you went through a free throw slump, you competed against Shaq. You know, Barkley said it the other night. Shaq didn't hit his free throws, but he gave you 40. You can't get the 40 from Ben Simmons and the missed free throws. You, you, you made the perfect point. I think it's in his head 
that if he attacks the rim and he wants to score more and post up and do that, he's just going to get hack-a-shacked and fouled and go to the free throw line where he can't make shots. I think it's a combination of all of this, and I really believe a sports psychologist or someone should help him, but isn't that the job of Doc? Doc's got to take him aside and mold him and rebuild him again. Well, yeah, it's supposed to be the job of the coaches to, like, see these things and figure it out. But also the assistant coaches, teammates, it's everybody's responsibility to help your teammate. Um, You know, I had guys, you know, if I struggle with free throws, I mean, I had a guy like Jeff Hornacek say, come on, man, let's work on this. You know, Stockton, let's work on this. Isaiah, Joe Dumas, let's work on this. And so it was that kind of thing. And I just don't think those are the situations anymore because, you know, the way the games change, you know, a lot of guys, they – self-absorbed, and I don't want to help this guy out because he's taking my job. It's that whole thing. And so those are the dynamics that we have nowadays, and it's unfortunate because this is a really talented young man, but he has flaws. Like you said earlier, he does have flaws in his game, and one of them is offensively. But so how much more can I play you if you're not giving us anything offensively? And you were right. Shaquille was dropping 40, dunking on your head, so if he missed the and one, it wasn't that big of a deal. <laughs> Holden Polities joins us. Uh, just give me something on the Hawks and Trey Young. He didn't have a great first three quarters, but when they needed him down the stretch, his ability to handle it, to, to just run the offense, to throw the floaters, to throw the alley-oops, and to knock down the big threes. seemed like this playoff, Holden, the entire postseason as we talk to you, it's the official coming out party of Trey Young. It really has been, and not just Trey Young, but Kevin Herter, uh, Bogdanovich, John Collins. It's the whole team, and Nate McMillan has done an incredible job, you know, of just not really – it's kind of like when Steve Kerr took over for Warriors. It was like, hey, they already built. Uh, let me just stay out the way a little bit. You know, I'll tweak this and I'll tweak that, but that's about it. Let these guys play basketball. And that's what he's done with, with, the, with the Hawks. He's allowing them to be themselves. The only thing I remember him saying to Trey Young is like, hey, we don't need every shot to be a 40-footer. <laughs> you know, and that was pretty much it. You know, that's it. You still want Trey Young to be Trey Young. But just recognize, you know, you don't have to shoot all long-distance shots. You know, you can penetrate, use the floater, you know, put guys on their heels, throw the lob. And so he's, that's the kind of job he's done. But this has definitely been his coming out party. But, again, like I said, so has, it has been for all the other players as well. These guys are playing solid. And they're young enough and cocky enough to believe they can win it all. <laughs> that's what I like about them. Olden Bolognese joins us as we wrap it up. So uh, let's move over now when I take a look at Giannis and what happened. I got it right with the Nets. I didn't like the principles the team was built on. I didn't like Harden quitting on Houston by getting out of shape as his last saving effort to get there. Kyrie went AWOL for seven games. We talked about that a few times with you. I just didn't like the team. I didn't want bad behavior to be rewarded, and they didn't get to the conference finals, and a lot of that had to do with Kyrie's ankle and Harden's hamstring. But looking back on Brooklyn, put a bow on their season. What should be the big takeaway? Well, the big takeaway is I agree with you, and I also on other – um, interviews I've done, I didn't pick them to win. I didn't even pick them to win the Eastern Conference. 
And everybody was like, you crazy. I'm like, no, I just know basketball. <laughs> okay. Yeah. It's not personal. It's like, it's the history of the injuries and also the fact that they were dealing with current injuries. And so I just did the math. And so to me, you know, they still, you know, they've, they're a talented team, but their defense is very suspect. You cannot win championships if you can't stop people. And that, to me, that's the bottom line. Yeah, you got three of the greatest offensive players right now in basketball, but two of them can't play defense. <laughs> so that's your problem. You're still going to have to get defenders. Absolutely. Hey, finally, the league doesn't have LeBron Durant's gone, Kyrie's out, no Steph Curry. We still have Giannis as a two-time MVP superstar, Booker in Philadelphia, excuse me, and the Suns were waiting for Chris Paul to come back. Do you like this new look? Because we came off a pretty nice run with the Warriors and LeBron winning last year in the bubble. It seems refreshing to some, but also the media side tells me that not a lot of people in this country are going to love these matchups and like it instead of having LeBron, Steph, and Durant and all these other big names going the rest of the way. And I say the hell with them. We need this. You need yeah. fresh face. You need this. This makes the NBA better. Because the one thing we got to remember is this. For many, many years, years ago, the NBA hoped for L.A., Boston, L.A., Philadelphia, you know, big, big market teams because we didn't have social media. We didn't have this influx of, you know, um, video content and everything else. But now that we're in this era, it doesn't matter anymore. There is no such thing as a small market because everybody gets to be seen. And so to me, it's better for the league when you can have new faces and make the game better. So now th these other guys who kept resting on their laurels, they're going to have to work and step up their game if they want to be in the finals. Awesome, Olden. Thank you, as always. And uh, we'll talk throughout the playoffs. Thank you, my friend. All right. Thank you, you, JT. Always appreciate it. Olden Polonies, fantastic, fantastic. Look, he knows the sport. He played it for 15 years. you got guys who can't score, can't shoot, can't help your team. Get them off the court. Can't make a free throw and you're in the NBA? Ben Simmons, that athletic? He's not in the gym enough. Doc Rivers wants to get him in the gym now? Why wasn't he in the gym all year working on his free throws? Just incredible. Philadelphia is going to eat him up. They're already eating him up. Now they're spitting him out. Sad for that kid. Hey, don't miss this next. Michael Kay, the voice of the Yankees, coming up next right here. Brought to you by PT's Best Happy Hour in Town. This could be one, two, on the first. It's a triple play. They've done it again. Three times a charm, and the Yankees win two to one. Can you believe it? I'm thrilled to talk to Michael Kay, voice of the Yankees, and the new book is Center Stage, my most fascinating interviews from A-Rod to Jay-Z. Michael, good to talk to you, and congratulations on the book. Thank you, JT. Good to talk to you. 
you know, it's a grind. Your radio show, Voice of the Yankees, a new book out, and you got to kind of fit it all in to your schedule. What's this type of year this this month like for you with the Yankees? It's been interesting. Uh, you know, it's it's a little less grinding than it usually is because we're still not uh, the the broadcast is not traveling, and I you know not one um, regional sports network is traveling to this point. So I don't know if if that's in the future. That's usually the hardest part of the job. So. You know, just take the drive to the stadium every day. Either do a game that's right in front of you, or do a game that's on the monitor. And uh, the toughest part has been, you know, the Yankees up until about two weeks ago didn't hit, and those are not fun games to call. But uh, they seem like they're starting to come around of late. Uh, before we get to the book, what have you learned and got comfortable with the monitor, and the fact that you love being out on the road because you see the fans and you interact. And I know you got to stay in your lane; that's not your decision. But I'm sure you miss the travel, even though you have a family at home. You know what? There's a there's a lot of there's a lot of things that go into like how I feel about this, and uh, I, I'm pragmatic, JT. I really am, and I understand that all of these regional sports networks lost a truckload of money last year. I mean, it's not like Amazon and Walmart that did well in the pandemic. They lost money. They only had 60 games when they thought they were going to have 150 plus. So uh, I understand it, and I understand that not traveling us is actually saving some money, getting some of the money back that they lost last year. So, uh, again, I'm not deaf to the fact that this is a business and this is what they have to do. Now, is a broadcast better when it's right in front of you? Absolutely. But can it be done off a monitor without uh, being a terrible broadcast? Yes, I believe that the people that notice that we're not there are people in the business. The average fan enjoys the broadcast. I call the no-hitter that took place in Arlington, Texas, that Corey Kluber threw, and I thought that I, I had a pretty decent game behind the mic. Uh, as for the traveling, i got to tell you, JT, I'm 60 years old, and I have a 6-year-old and an 8-year-old. So <laughs> I've seen all these cities since I was 20 years old. So uh, if I have to step away for like one, one year where I'm not going to Boston and I'm not going to L.A., I can deal with it for one year. Michael K. joins us. I get it. Let's get to center stage. The concept of the show getting it on the air. Take me back to the early years. Who had the vision with you, and how difficult was it to get it cleared and get it on TV? It was not my vision. I'll be totally forthright. The guy who started the Yes Network was hired by George Steinbrenner's John J. Filippelli, and he still runs it 20 years later. And so obviously he had to put the Yankees broadcast together. That was the main thing. And then what they call shoulder programming, the, the, the other shows that are going to be on Yes when the Yankees aren't on. And so he was in a diner one day, and he was just scribbling on one of those little napkins they give you under your soda. And he wrote down, inside the actor's studio for sports. And uh, that was the James Lipton show, where they sat down with actors, and they spoke to him like for two, three hours. Um, And he wanted to do that on the Yes Network. And I was not the first choice to host, uh, because he felt that I had enough of my plate being the, the first play-by-play guy. I'd never been a lead guy. I'd always been, you know, John Sterling's second guy in the booth. So he didn't want to put this on me. And the first guy they wanted to hire was Jack Ford. Uh, and the other person they wanted to hire was Leslie Visser. Uh, both of them couldn't get out of the deals that they were in. So then he started to think, you know what, Kay's not a bad interviewer on MSG. Let, let's give him a shot, and maybe he can handle both things on his plate. And that's how it started. And 20 years and about 240 shows later, it's still on. Fantastic. Center stage, Michael Kay's new book. Interesting with your prep. I know we're both radio hosts and how much you have to prep, especially in the number one media market for radio. When you look at this show, what's the difference between John Bon Jovi, Paul Simon, and the prep that you already know for Lawrence Taylor 
or Joe Montana? The difference between sports and the arts, is there anything different in your preparation? I think there's a difference, JT. It's a great question. And, and if, you know, with with us, like sports, it's, it's part of our being. I mean, we grew up with it. Like John Sterling has a line, I've been preparing for this my whole life. So when you talk to somebody in sports, you know everything about them. But still, every single guest that's booked on center stage, the people that work behind the scenes send me six to 800 pages of, of research. So I, I read everything I can about them. Then we put together a script, which I obviously will go off of according to the answers that the people give. And somebody once gave me advice. I don't know if I totally agree with it. Never do an interview unless you know the answer to every single question that you ask. I don't know if that's right, but I do like to know everything about them because I think people gain trust in you if they feel like you know what you're talking about. And if you're completely blind to something uh, that's important in their life, they're going to shut down and they're not going to really open up for you later on. Michael K. joins us. So you getting the guests comfortable, and when the live audience is there, we talked about your prep. How important is it before the interview begins to have that one-on-one with the guest, or do you like to come in even if you don't know someone well and start it off right there when you get in the chair? I once read that Letterman would never, ever go into a green room. He never wanted to see the guest before. I'm I'm not like that, but I will go in because I don't want them to see me for the first time when they walk out on stage. That's kind of jarring to see my freakish head. So I'll just walk in and I'll shake their hand, say hello, pleasantries, but I will not do any part of the show in the dressing room. I try to keep that for the stage, but I do feel there should be some kind of familiarity uh, to, between two human beings before cameras get rolling. So that that's the extent of what I do. And sometimes when I walk in there, you know, some of these, you know, celebrities are Yankee fans, so they'll ask about the team, and I'm fine talking about the team or whatever and behind-the-scenes stuff, but nothing that we're going to talk about on the stage do I talk about in the dressing room. You know, I've watched the show for years, living out west and having yes, and I've always enjoyed the fact that you're very comfortable with these guests. I'm assuming that there's, maybe give me an example of a couple of interviews that you just thought you nailed. You knew right when the camera went off, you killed it, and maybe an interview or two that, you know, was a little bit a little bit tough in the beginning, maybe getting someone to open up. Well, I, I, I thought the, the one that probably resonates the most with people that watched and definitely people that were in the studio that day was the Mike Tyson one. Yeah. I mean, that was unbelievable, JT, in that, you know, he was on stage for an hour, and at times he sobbed uncontrollably. Other times he was laughing uproariously. He got angry. He got sad. At times I thought he was going to hit me. Uh, everybody that was in that studio audience said they're sitting on the edge of their seat. And now I found this out like a week and a half ago, so it's not even in the book that that show ran on Yes, Spike Lee was watching and called up Mike Tyson and said, that's a Broadway show. That's a one-man Broadway show, what you just did on that stage. And that's what Tyson on Broadway started from, which I'm really flattered about, but also upset that I didn't get a piece. But that, that that was one that even when you walked out of the studio, you go, wow, that was intense. He really bared a soul, and you feel good about that. You know, there... Uh, of the 240 we've done, I, I think there's just one real bad one, and, and that's that's uh, Dennis Quaid. You know, he, he didn't think the show was going to be an hour, although I'm sure his publicist told him. Uh, the first two segments of the show, he gave yes and no answers. Uh, when we went to break after the second segment, I leaned over and I said softly, I said, listen, the show's an hour. Whether you give yes or no answers, it's not going to speed it up. i got thousands of questions. You're the one who's going to look bad here. And he was kind of startled that somebody would talk to him like that. And 
He was a little bit better after that, but of the 240, that was a clinker. And I feel badly about it because maybe I didn't do my part either because, you know, I see him on Kimmel and I see him on Fallon, and he's a great guest. He's funny, but that day on that stage in that seat, he was dreadful. Yeah, getting back to Tyson, I saw when he launched the show in Vegas where I live, and you're right about that. I saw the interview you did with him, and then for Spike to say that, that is a high honor. Michael Kay joins us center stage. My most fascinating interviews from A-Rod to Jay-Z. Uh, before we wrap it up with the book, as a sports talk host on radio, how'd you deal with the last couple of weeks with the sticky substance? I talked to Pete Rose. We've had all these baseball insiders on, and everyone has a different opinion, and then you hear what Garrett Cole has to say, and other pitches around the league and the process of maybe being injured if they don't feel like they have the grip. And I'm even hearing words like cold turkey. It's really a, a really big mind issue for these pitchers. How are you handling it? It's weird. You know, you, I, I agree. Everybody has a different take. Even people within the union, uh, they seem like split, which I, I think the, the owners are probably overjoyed about. But, you know, you got Pete Alonso who says he, he wants them to have whatever they want on the mound so they don't lose control of the baseball. And then you have Charlie Blackman uh, and uh, Josh Donaldson saying that they shouldn't have anything. Uh, I think it's got to be somewhere in the middle. Uh, you know, Al Leiter was on with us on the on the show, on the radio show, and he said, hey, they've been doing this for years. 95% of pitchers have put something on the ball to get a grip. It's impossible to grip without. So I find it hard to believe that they're just going to cut them down to nothing. I don't understand why they can't get together in a room and come up with a, an agreed-upon substance that you can get control of the baseball, but not weaponize that control and turn it into spin rate. And I think what Garrett Cole did, JT, was he showed that you don't have to have this incredible spin rate to pitch well because his RPMs were down 200, 200 on his fastball, 200 RPMs. That's significant, and he was still brilliant against a really good hitting team, allowing two runs in eight innings. So I think you just have to pitch a little bit differently. And as for the injuries... I know Tyler Glass now thinks that he partially tore his UCL because he went cold turkey. That's going to be hard to prove. I mean, people do tear their UCL even when they're using this stuff. You know, I do the games on Yes with David Cohn, and he thinks that the proliferation of Tommy John surgeries could be because, you know, the ball is on your hand so much and the torque so much on your elbow that that could tear ligaments as well. I think this is a, a new frontier. I just don't like the fact that baseball decided to become – these big bad policemen in the middle of the year. That's an awful look. And it's, it is tough on pitchers that might not be able to get a grip on the baseball. Finally, Michael, I like a quote that you recently had. You said, I quote, I work for two Tiffany brands. I can't really go low on ESPN. The Yankees, the team of my youth. I'm a diehard Yankee fan, as you know. I worked for Fox for 17 and a half years. You're with ESPN. That quote really resonated with me because in sports radio, we compete against people nationally and locally that seem like they can do whatever they want. They can get really low. They can try to be more entertaining. But you got to wake up every day knowing that you work for two Tiffany brands, and you always keep that in mind. I'm very impressed by that. Thank you. And, and right now, JT, I'm in a ratings war um, with the other station, and they hired Craig Carton. And I think Craig is a fabulously talented broadcaster, but you know he comes from morning, uh, morning radio, and he gets blue. And he'll say stuff, and he'll insult people, and he'll, he'll insult me from what I've heard. I'm, I'm on at the same time. And, you know, Michael Kay, the kid from the South Bronx, I could get as down and dirty as anybody in the world. But on that radio show, I, you're not just representing yourself. You're representing everybody that you work for. So, yeah, I could do it. And, 
you know, it might help me a little bit in the ratings, but I don't think the Yankees would want somebody being their play-by-play voice who's working blue on the radio. And, you know, Disney, you know, Disney had an opportunity to hire Craig Carton, and they just don't go that route. That's not what Disney believes. So I know where my paychecks are signed, and it's not like I'm selling out. I just I have a respect for the people that I represent and the brands that I represent, and, and that gives me a certain line that I can't cross. They let me go up to it, but I can't yep. cross it. Well, Michael, finally, the highest compliment I can pay you is my 83-year-old dad in Massapequa is a diehard Yankee fan from DiMaggio, sat in the bleachers for Mantle and everybody else who's played for the for the Yanks. And he always says to me, he goes, Michael K. someday is going to have a monument in Monument Park. That's from my dad in Massapequa who thinks the world of you. So we'll promote the book. We'll send everybody to Amazon and keep it going. And it's just great to catch up with you again. JT, thank you, and, and thank your dad. That's, that's really kind. You got it. Take care, Michael. All the best. Be well. Michael K., voice of the Yankees. Hope you enjoyed that. Really proud of that interview. He's a good guy. When you're a 30-year play-by-play voice of a Tiffany brand like the Yankees, that's not your typical job. That's a job that you want to hold on to for the rest of your life. And as my dad says, he will have a monument in Monument Park when it's all done. That was brought to you by the Henderson Hyundai Superstore Boulder Highway in Henderson. I hope Frank likes that. He's a background New Yorker from back in the day who runs Vegas with the Henderson Hyundai Superstore, and he's a proud partner of the Vegas Golden Knights. And Vegas needs to win now. Game five would be nice. Back at the Fortress, if you're looking for a new vehicle, a crossover, those award-winning Hyundais head on out to the Henderson Hyundai Superstore, Boulder Highway in Henderson. They have the super deals you're looking for. Great job by Bobby, Mark Anderson, Doug Jolly, Olden Polonese, Michael K. Not bad on a Monday. Every night I'm on Sirius XM at 7 to 10 p.m. Big shows with the NBA playoffs and the hockey playoffs. Tomorrow I'm live from the Raider facility in Henderson after emceeing a rugby event as we kick off a big rugby announcement tomorrow at Allegiant Stadium. See you back tomorrow. Have a good night, everybody. All right? Take care.